You're listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast with service members from across the military sharing their stories of combat and survival. And now, here's your host, Mark Zeno. Welcome into the Hazard Ground Podcast. Once again, we always appreciate you joining us each and every week. A couple of quick notes before we get to this week's guest. I want to remind you guys, leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Love the reviews. Keep them coming. We love to hear back from you guys and get some feedback on the show, what you like, what you don't like. Follow us on all the social media sites, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Hazard Ground or at Hazard Ground Podcast. You'll find us everywhere. Also wanted to take a quick second to thank all of our sponsors. Patagonia, On It, Blue Apron, 510, Moose Jaw, Hydro Flask, and CSS Uncharted. Finally, one quick note about our good friends at the Shepherd Center and the Share Military Initiative. Folks, I have worked with these people. I know them personally. This is one of the finest veteran centers in all of America. They will 100% absolutely change the life of any veteran struggling with PTSD, traumatic brain injury, or whatever emotional issues, physical issues that you may be dealing with. These are the people that you need to reach out to. They will literally get you from wherever you are in America to their center here in Atlanta and change your life. Check them out online at shepherd.org. That's S-H-E-P-E-R-D.org. The best place to go, the Share Military Initiative at the Shepherd Center. Literally, they are saving lives on a daily basis, so make sure you check them out. Now, on to this week's episode. This week's guest is a retired Army captain who spent 10 years in the Army, including time as a combat trauma registered nurse in Afghanistan. He is Captain Ryan Hepworth on the Hazard Ground Podcast. Ryan, welcome. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it, Mark. Thank you for having me. I did neglect to mention in the intro, one of the things you're doing now is part of the Shadow Warrior Foundation. It's an incredible foundation that is helping save the lives of veterans. We're going to get into that later on into the podcast, but let's start back at the very beginning. Why and how did you get into the Army? Uh, yeah, so um, I, was in, I was in nursing school um, in Oklahoma. And, uh, it was kind of, it was kind of crazy. I was, uh, I was working out at the gym, you know, like most, you know, man nurses try to try to do, you know, and, um, <laughs> you, you know, have everybody and, thinking and, of meet the parents right now. Come on, Fokker. I know, I know, right. It's like Gaylord Fokker, you know, checking in here, you know, <laughs> but, um, but, uh, yeah, so I was, I was sitting there working out, man. And, um, a recruiter approached me and, you know, he was, you know, just, you know, kind of, you know, shooting the pitch, you know, and stuff like that. If I've ever thought about military service and, and whatnot and, you know, and I had, you know, honestly, you know, and, uh, I, you know, we just kind of just, you know, started, you know, developing a little dialogue about, you know, what I was doing and, and stuff like that. And, uh, and he said, you know, Hey, you should, you should let the, you know, the military, you know, pay for the rest of your school, you know? And I was like, Oh, okay, man, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, see what I can do. You know, I just kind of kept on didn't think anything of it. And I really didn't talk to the guy, you know, that much after that. Uh, but it kind of, you know, stuck in my mind, you know, I mean, there's a, a long line of military service in my family, you know, something that I always wanted to do, you know, I mean, I was focused on becoming a, an ER nurse, you know, a flight nurse, you know, and stuff like that. And, and, you know, it just made sense to me, you know, like what better way to, to, to do that than, than be in the military, you know, I mean, I've been working as a, as a tech in the ER and stuff like that. And, you know, yeah, taking care of civilians is a great thing, you know, as well, but it, you know, I wanted to do something bigger than myself. You know, I know that sounds cliche, you know, it sounds like a recruiting video, but I mean, it, I really did, you know, 9-11, to be honest, it pissed me off, you know, and that just, you know, been a couple of years since that had happened, you know, so I decided to, 
join in reserve status, finish up school, and then uh, you know direct commission after graduation. What uh, what year was it that uh, you signed up? It was obviously post nine eleven, but what year? Uh, I signed up in two thousand four. Okay. You know, so in the end of two thousand four. So. I mean, you knew so, at that yeah. point in time you were you were definitely you signed up. You're definitely going somewhere at some point in time, right? I mean, you you definitely. you went in with that knowledge that you were going to go do that. Definitely. Now, definitely. was that yeah. something was. Because, look, you know, you sign up to be a nurse in general, even in the civilian world, you know you're going to see some real stuff, right? That just kind of happens. It's the nature of the job. Did you think that when you were going into the the Army, you were going to see different stuff than what you would have normally seen as a regular ER nurse or whatever it is? I mean, what were your expectations as far as what kind of job you were going to do? Because you knew that, unlike, for those who are not military listening, unlike... Um, when you enlist and they kind of pick a job for you, if you have a degree as a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer, you can, as Ryan said, direct commission right into that field. So there was no bones about it. You knew exactly what you were going to do when you were going in, but kind of what were the expectations of, Hey, I'm going to go into a combat zone and do this job. Yeah. So it's, uh, it, it, you know, like, I, I guess, you know, when you go in, you know, uh, in the majority, majority of registered nurses, docs, they, they work in those brick and mortar, you know, buildings, you know, you got to work at, um, you know, Brook Army Medical Center or, or Tripler, you know, one of those, you know, large medicines, you know, and you have your smaller, you know, uh, clinics and stuff like that. Um, one of my, uh, one of my mentors, uh, when I was going through, uh, basic, you know, and stuff like that and coming out and we had like a little career path type, uh, a program. Um, he had mentioned to me, you know, cause I was, I was from a little bit different cut, you know, I mean, I, I like to get out there and get, get dirty and stuff like that. And so you have Medcom, which is, you know, you, you, you work with inside of Medcom, you know, the, the big, you know, hospitals, medicines, but then you have Forcecom, you know, which are your, uh, more organic units, you know, your, your combat support hospitals, you know, your, um, forward surgical teams, you know, things like that. And so I volunteered to, to become Forcecom and not stay medcom just so i could you know go out there and 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 make a difference on on the battlefield you know eventually and that's that's the that's the path that you know i chose and that's where it took me so so yeah so it uh yeah i just made that choice i i guess more of was it the thrill of getting to save lives quicker than what you would feel like you'd do in a civilian capacity yeah, it, it really was, you know, it really was, you know, I wanted to be on, you know, I wanted to experience cutting edge medicine, you know, and, and, and really have that effect. I wanted to, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it to be like, oh, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm an adrenaline junkie, but, you know, honestly, I kind of am, but I, I wanted to be, I wanted to maximize that impact, you know, from, from start to finish and not just, you know, get it midway, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? No, sure. Absolutely. I mean, and everybody has to, it's funny how everybody on this podcast, you know, they talk about going into combat and everything else. They always caveat it with, well, you know, uh, not that I'm adrenaline junkie or like I'm a war junkie, but (laughs) well, I I mean, it's, it's an interesting dynamic because in reality, we all sign up with the wherewithal of knowing what that is. And whether you're into that sort of thing or you're not into that sort of thing, it's just something mentally you have to acknowledge. And so you don't have to acknowledge I'm doing it because yeah, I like to go, you know, pull the trigger and go kill people and blow stuff up. I mean, it, it's just a matter of this is the nature of the job that we do. And so understanding all the limits that come with that and all the things that come with it, I think are important. So I, I just, I, I yeah. find it funny that people have to caveat, well, I'm not an adrenaline junkie. No, 
look, adrenaline comes <laughs> in different forms in different ways. So it's just it's an interesting yeah. uh, interesting thought. I just really wanted to 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 know the guys that I was working on. You know, I wanted to I wanted to feel that team element that I wanted to feel part of. Wanted to feel part of them, you know. And I know that's something that that's earned. You know, I mean, I'm not gonna. I never went into anything saying, "Hey, you know, you're gonna call me Doc." I mean, you earn that. I mean, even being an RN. Uh, 60 whiskey, you know, combat medic or even a physician. I mean, no one goes in there and say, hey, I'm Doc, but you earn that, you know. Well, see, now and, that's an interesting dynamic that I didn't even think of. The way you phrase yeah. that from the standpoint of I wanted to know the guys I was working on. Because I, I, I yeah. think a part of medicine, right, in the civilian yeah. world, it's very impersonal, yeah. right? And you're supposed to treat it impersonal. Isn't that what they say? You know, you can't get emotional yeah. about a diagnosis. You can't get emotional about a specific patient and type because it clouds your judgment. In this case, yeah. you're actually looking for that cloudiness, so to speak. Like, you want to know yeah. the guy that's life you're trying to save. I mean, that's a that, – does that make it tougher? You know, it it it, it really does. It makes it, it makes it a lot harder. You know, you, I mean, you really you hit the nail on the head when you when you when you put that divider in there. Because yeah, in the civilian sector, because I work both sides. You know, in the civilian sector, you you don't have that that connection. I'm not saying that there's any lack of urgency or or any professionalism what you're doing, but when you know the guys, it's 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 different. You know, it's. I mean, well, I think it becomes. Yeah, I think it becomes in the civilian world. This is a gunshot wound. This is a you know broken leg. This is a heart palpitation. But in the military, it's yeah. that's Sergeant Jones, that's Specialist Riley, yeah. and that's Private Smith, and and that's how it's different. Yeah. Like everybody has a name attached to it. Exactly, exactly, and it's and you know and you and you and you you're hurting for the guy too. You know, one thing one thing that I that I. Actually, you know, I mean, this is a, this is a good point in this uh, in this conversation to bring in um, uh, First Sergeant Callahan, uh, Rob Callahan, that we lost uh, last week. You know, um, he he lost his battle with with uh, with PTSD. You know, unfortunately, and um, you know that one uh, it it just tears you up. You know, just the the impact that he had on me. You know, personally, I mean, I had I had some command time. You know, over in Afghanistan, and he was you know he was my first sergeant, and he. Uh, and top he, he he was amazing you know i mean he's the one who pulled me to the side we you know it was i was probably in afghanistan for maybe a day maybe a couple of days and we had some you know significant traumas come through you know and i'm working on the guy and i'm, I'm you know you know busting my ass trying to you know do what we got to do and um you know i went to him because he's he's old school you know whiskey one guy you know um he's you know cream of the crop in terms of like uh combat medics and you know i was like how do you process this stuff you know i was like how do you you know because i mean i know you, you as as an officer you know as a leader you want to be strong for your guys and uh you know he said you know just don't wear it on your sleeve you know you got to put that you know pack that shit away you know you know leave it for a later time you know because if you if you're sitting there and you're, emo and you're emotional and then you're you know letting that bleed out onto the guys that you're working on they're going to recognize that and they're going to be like okay is this guy confident is is he not comfortable with the situation you know is he just you know pussy basically you know i mean is he not going to be able to perform the expectation that 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 for one that that rank displays and that what his profession is you know and so you you tuck it away and you put it away for later on you know and you can't 
you, you become a very good liar. I know that sounds bad, but you know, there are, there are a lot of times where, you know, you're working on a guy and you know what his prognosis is, you know, he's not going to make it, you know I mean? You're just giving him comfort measures and stuff like that. And you say, no, nah, man, you're going to be good. You're going to be with your family because, you know, I'm a very observant person. You start looking at tattoos of his kids, you know, on his forearms and stuff where he's wearing oh, a wedding wow. ring. And, you know, you're like, you become a very good liar and you say, no, nah, man, you're going to be fine. You're going to be good. And, but in reality, you're just trying to patch him up to make him look presentable because the next time he sees his family, they're going to be, you know, laying him to rest. And that's, that's the shit that, you know, it stays with you, you know, and I apologize if I get a little emotional about it because it's, it stays with you, you know, it's that, uh, it's that survival guilt. No, look, you know? I mean, it, it's okay to be emotional about it. We, we, we share a lot of emotions here on the hazard ground and, and that's part of, you know, I guess the, what makes us a little bit cathartic is, is, you know, to talk with these guests and get all those emotions out. And yeah, I mean, that's when you put it in those terms, you know, the next time they're going to see their loved one, it's, you know, they're going to be laying them to rest. I mean, that's a, that's a lot to bear on your shoulders. Um, and, and I can see how quickly those efforts may seem futile. Like, why am I dressing this person? Why am I doing all these things when in reality, um, you know, there's nothing I can do to, to, to change the outcome. Um, do you start to yeah. think about those family members and say, I'm doing this for them now. I can't do it to save the individual, but now I'm doing it for, for their family. You really, yeah, it, it really is, you know, and it's, it, you know, it, if it's your, you know, you're working on their face, you know, or you're, or you're, you know, just trying to make them look as normal as possible. You know, I mean, I know there's other services that do that as well, but, I mean, you, you take it and, you know, cause I mean, it's just, yeah, that, that's what it is. I mean, you know, you gotta, you know, you gotta make them feel like you did everything that you could, you know, because you made a promise to them, you know, I mean, granted, you know, you go, you go into a battlefield, you know, and then you go over to fight in whatever theater war that you're in, you know, that, you know, sometimes people aren't going to make it back, you know, but, um, you make that promise to those family members and they, you know, they almost entrust, you know, their family member to you saying, okay, yeah, you know, they're, you know, Doc's going to bring them home, you know, I mean, that's, that's what their job is to take care of them, you know, it kind of trickles down into every MOS in the military is like that, you know, but when you, uh, when you, when you don't make that happen for them, you know, then you try your, you know, you try your damnedest to, to at least, you know, provide some type of closure for them you know, and in that sense to make them, you know, presentable, make them look better or, you know, just, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's a rough one, man. It's, I don't even know if it's a pill you can actually ever swallow. It just kind of swishes around in your mouth. Yeah. That's a, that's a, actually a really good way to describe it. Um, we fast forwarded a lot. I do want to back up a little bit because, uh, to kind of, you know, close the circle for the listeners. So, you, you got in as a direct commission, um, 2004, yeah. right? How quickly do you get to yeah. unit and deploy kind of, and just take us to how quickly you got to Afghanistan? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so I was, I was in my reserve status, uh, throughout school. I graduated, uh, in, uh, in 2008. Um, and so I got my first assignment, uh, Brook Army Medical Center. I was in like a, kind of floated around a little bit, you know, I see you step down, did some stuff over in Bern. Um, actually got to pull some stuff over at the center for the intrepid, you know, which is, uh, 
it's an amazing facility. Um, now, where that, is Brook Army Medical you know, Center? Which it, post is that? Um, it's in uh, it's in San Antonio. It's okay. up there, uh, uh, Fort Sam Houston. Gotcha. Okay. You know, so in Van Brook, right there. Yeah. So um, so I went there and I was um, you basically I, I, I was medcom, and so you start to receive your um your assignments. You know, you're um you're a profus filler, like professional filler um assignments so you're you don't really have a particular unit you're assigned to that hospital and you have your company that you're there with um and so i was there for not even a year um and uh and a, and a colonel that i worked with colonel marquez um he uh you know he was an rn as well but he had received an assignment to um be attached to task force 115 which is basically the combat support hospital there in fort polk louisiana and he asked me if I was interested in going down there with him because I had worked on training, uh, you know, new RNs, new docs that came in like chest tubes and, you know, stuff like that. And um, he knew that I was very, uh, very anxious and, and chomping at the bit to get out there and, you know, get in the mix and then put my skills to the, to the test, you know, um, you know, being my, you know, ER background and stuff like that. And um, so I, re you know, requested to be, placed on this task force on this team and that transitioned me to uh, a force com uh, team member and uh, received my assignment and I was after I had spoken with them I was ready to rock in about a month I reported to Fort Polk uh, Louisiana for training you know and then shipped out to Afghanistan that was uh end of 2010. When you took that assignment or when you volunteered for it um were you in a place where it was just like, this is why I signed up to go or was the working at the regular Brook Army Medical Center and kind of like not giving you your adrenaline fix, so to speak? What was the mindset behind raising your hand and volunteering? Um, it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of a mixture of all of that, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, I, I liked working, you know, and at, at Brook, you know, but I mean, I just, I felt like a civilian to be honest. I mean, you know, you would, you would roll into work and, you know, a lot of these, a lot of times you wouldn't even wear your, you know, your, uh, your fatigues and, and stuff like that. And, and I mean, I just, I honestly, I just felt like a civilian. You were treating the sniffles you know? a lot, I, I mean, guess. Huh? Just, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just <laughs> like that, man. You know I mean? We, every now and then we get guys down from downrange and, you know, we're working on them and stuff like that. And, and, and I was like, man, you know, I mean, and granted, I mean, you know, you know, when you're a soldier, I mean, you're, you're, you're a soldier, you know, everybody puts on a uniform, but I mean, honestly, man, I, I, I truly felt like I was a civilian that, you know, put on a uniform every now and then I felt like I was a weekend warrior type. And I was like, man, I need, no, this isn't, this isn't what I was looking for. This is the one I signed up to do. You know I mean? If I'm in the military, you know, I need to, you know, train like, you know, soldiers train. I need more Polk, Louisiana. I mean, that's not the exact you know, the ideal place that everybody wants to go to, you know, but I mean, you know, Hey, you know, it was, uh, it was the option that I was given and, you know, and I, and I took it, you know, and, and, you know, I knew right then, right when I, when I took that assignment, I reported my very first day that it was, that was where I needed to be. And that's where I planned on staying, you know, uh, was same force calm throughout my career because I was with soldiers and I, and, you know, I got to train with them and we got to, you know, go to the field and do what we had to do and to deploy, you know, with them. And that's, that's what I was looking for. That's what I signed up for. I mean, I wanted to, to, 
you know, serve, you know, a country that in the, you know, highest capacity that I could and that, that gave me that, you know, not because, I mean, I, I'm, I wasn't going out looking for awards and, and medals, you know, we, no one looks for that. I mean, to be honest, you know, you know how it is. And um, sure. that, that provided that, that avenue to, you know, say, you know, hey, I am a soldier, man. I train like one, you know, I, I go out there and I'm with them, you know, and that's, that's, that's what it was about for me. When you get to Afghanistan, uh, you're working at the combat support hospital, and yeah. you, what is the day-to-day kind of tempo like? Like, take me through your first couple of days on ground, because you said that you had some heavy stuff happen the first couple of days when you got on ground. Take me to, to, to yeah. set that scene, you know, take me there and let me know how that first couple of days went. Yeah, so, um, you know, we, we, you know, we go through, you know, the typical in-processing type you know, stuff when you, when you, when you go in country, you know, for, you know, we went to Germany first and then hit Manus, which was freaking colder than hell. I mean, I didn't think that, you know, the blue stuff inside of the trains was supposed to freeze, but man, that shit was frozen. And I was like, <laughs> man, this is crazy, you know? And, uh, you know, we went from, you know, one extreme to, to the, to the complete opposite, you know, so we were down in Southern Helmand province, you know, like below, uh, below Kandahar. You know, which is hot as balls if anyone's ever been there and uh and so we're in there and it's it's basically just a little tent city you know i mean our hooches you know they were just they're just tents and you know and i was you know I, I was good with it you know but then you walk into your to your area so i walked into our you know emergency you know treatment tent and i walk in there and it's 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 just different but you know i was i knew that i was in my element you know and uh you know, with the heat there, it's if blood gets if blood gets anywhere, it, it it coagulates in the heat and it has a very distinct smell. And I remember that being one of the first smells when I went in there. You know, I opened up that tent flap and walked in and was meeting you know the the team, and I was like, yeah, this is real. You know, this is real. And you know, to this day, I like if I like. I'm helping my wife, you know, in the kitchen or she's cooking something and she opens up the oven and that heat hits you. It puts me back there. It's, it's, it's the craziest thing because it's like that heat. It's like an oven heat. And, uh, you know, I can still smell, you know, coagulated blood and, and that's, you know, it's that whole, I don't know. It's not really, it's not a flashback. I don't think, I think it's just, uh, it takes you back to somewhere where you're so dedicated and, uh, and, and that was probably the realest time in my life was that. And that started once I, you know, went into that, you know, treatment tent for the first time. You know, that's you know, the weird it. thing, too, about it, what, what a lot of people don't understand about PTSD. The, the triggers for it are yeah. so small. They seem so, ina- you know, banal and, and trite. And I mean, it's like there are certain smells that take me back to Baghdad. Like certain things I smell oh, like, no. oh yeah, that smells like the, you know, the bag. There was a, the loop of the Baghdad airport. You drive around that thing and, and you know, <laughs> uh, you know, tepid, stagnant water, just, you know, filled with sewage. Oh, yeah. you, you know, you just have this smell that makes you want to throw up in your Kevlar. And there are certain times oh, yeah. I'll have that similar smell and you, you just, and you're like, it goes right back to Baghdad. You know I mean? It's little things like yeah. that. And I think that's what hard, what's hard for civilians to understand about PTSD, yeah. some of it's more severe than others. Some of the reaction to it's more severe, but um, there there are little triggers, little things that happen that kind of just bring your mind uh, and drift it back yeah. to a place where it was. And so I, I certainly can uh, can relate with that, and I, I certainly understand 
uh, that standpoint, yeah. what you're going through, but I think you do a good job at explaining it to everybody. Can you remember yeah. the first real kind of patient that was brought into the cache that you had to work on? Um, yeah, yeah. So there was, um, you know, we were down there. So it was, it was basically a Marine, you know, op, area of operation, you know? So we had a uh, regimental combat teams, one and five of the Marine Corps that operated heavily down there. We had a uh, leatherneck and, you know, and, and, and all those, uh, you know, bases down there and, and fobs and cops just kind of scattered throughout. And, uh, I remember the, probably one of my first ones, it was, uh, you know, and, and I gotta tell you, man, too, you know, if you, if the types of injuries that we were working on, I mean, granted it can, it would go from like, you know, zero, you know, like, Oh, I got, you know, I walked into some freaking, you know, C wire and I cut my leg up. And we're just throwing stitches into, you know, we got people that are blown in half and, and just, it, you know, just, it, you know, stuff like that. But I remember there was a, there was a, a young Marine that came in. Um, he hit by an IED, you know, and, and I know that the, the IEDs, I mean, we didn't really do a lot with any V-bits and stuff like that, like uh, guys were dealing with over in Iraq and, and stuff. I mean, we were dealing with those little bitty undetectable ones, you know, leftovers from, you know, conflict with Russia. I mean, a lot of uh, HME type stuff, you know, the, the homemade explosive that, you know, our vehicles couldn't detect all the time. And, um, you know, these, uh, so this Marine, he, you know, he was hit by an ID and he was a, actually a triple amputation, you know, so he was missing his leg, uh, and both legs actually, and, and an arm. And, um, you know, it's, you know, you're ready for something. If you roll in and you don't freeze, you get the kind of deer in headlights type, you know, look, you know, and you can see other guys too. So we kind of, it was kind of like a vetting process for, for the team. You know, I was like, okay, this person's going to be all right, and or this person's not going to make it. They need to, you know, be changed out, put somewhere else. You know, because you didn't want anybody in your team to, to hinder the, the the work that you were doing. But I remember this guy. You know, we always had a formula for for um, blood and plasma that we would push because we were we were our blood source, and um, I was actually the officer in charge of that, the walking blood bank. And so I kept the registry of, you know, everyone's types of blood and, and how often they could, you know, donate, you know, and whenever we'd get a Marine in or any type of, you know, American soldier service member, whoever, um, every, every member on that, on our, on Dwyer would come out, they, they would come out in droves. I mean, they'd try to sneak under the wire and then, and, and donate before, you know, the, the time from when we could donate again because they knew that it was one of their brothers, you know, that needed that blood. And if they didn't get it, they were going to die. And, um, for this, for this young Marine, man, it came out in droves. So, you know, we, we start off with a, with a, we call it two and two per limb. If so, if they're missing their left leg, you know, we give them two, uh, two units of, of fresh frozen plasma and two units of, uh, PRBCs or packed red blood cells. That's what you automatically do. And I remember, you know, seeing this guy and I just, you know, your mind automatically switches to, all right, this guy's going to need six of eight. You know, you need six. Do you remember and, his name? Not that you have to share it because I know this is medical stuff, but do you remember his name? You know, it's it's crazy. Um, and I know this sounds cliche, but I didn't really remember any of the guys that, that, that we had saved. I remember the guys that we didn't. No, that's, I mean, that makes sense. Uh, that I could I mean, understand. It, yeah. You know, I mean, I, 
I don't know. It, <laughs> I don't know why it worked out that way. You know, I mean, I think it's because you remember, you know, someone, someone getting hit and things not going the way that you, you wanted them to, which is very rare, you know, in, in a scenario like that. And you just think back, okay, what, what could I have done in Benjamin's case? You know, and I say Benjamin because that's one that, that's one that's still, you know, is like, what can I do better so we don't have this occur again? Right, makes sense. You know? And so, it's sorry to derail you. I just was curious if you if you you know remember his name or no. not. But go ahead. No, I'm no, sorry. No, but, I mean, I, I mean, I, I have one. You know, you know. So, and then the thing about us too is like, so this this Marine, he ended up he ended up surviving. You know, and. You know, after after everything after everything is done, you know, cleaning up your floor and you know there's just blood everywhere, and you know you're, you know we're pushing him up to the next echelon of care, you know, and trying to get him to you know well for one trying to get him to calf and then from calf to Germany and stabilizing Germany back to you know stateside, you know to to get you know the treatment that he needs, and it's and it's just reset. You know, right. I mean, yeah, you're thinking all that stuff and it's reset. Then you go and, you know, you, you know, you go to the hooch later on that night and you're, you're laying down and you're like, damn, I was like, what's his life going to be like now? Yeah. Well, I was you think, I was literally thinking the same thing. I'm sure people listening were thinking, you know, I've, uh, people are fortunate enough to have all four limbs, you know, and when you lose three of them, what, what's the quality of life for that individual? Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's, you know, it, 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 yeah. is it, do you ever stop and think what am i actually saving here yeah yeah especially the guys with the massive tbis you know i mean i mean it's so crazy you know i mean we you would we'd get we'd get the mist you know it's like a little report you know from you know from point of injury and just it's like a little blurb of 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 information on injuries and stuff and what we got coming in how many and you know, what was the mechanism of injury, you know, what caused it. And, uh, whenever we hear anything about IEDs, like, yeah. And that, and that was something too, that we really trained our, our medics and, and each other to focus on, you know, it's like just because they roll in and they got, you know, their legs just, I mean, honestly, man, I mean, it, it doesn't look like a leg when they, when they step on it, they're, you know, dismounted or something like that. It's, there's so much dust and, you know, moon dust and, and, and just, tissue everywhere it almost looks like a shaggy carpet you know we try to get them not try them not to get to focus on that part that just looks torn up and just beat to hell because it could actually be a piece of shrapnel you know in their in their chest cavity that's killing them you know it could be something else so we try to get and we try to to work on okay yeah that that part looks awful you know that's that's awful but what's killing them right now like what what can we do to you know, to, to at least keep the, keep the glass full, you know, and then we can work on those other parts, you know, and it just, you know, it, it, it's, it's the craziest thing, you know, and it just, you know, how yeah. do you, how do you reconcile, how do you reconcile, um, the ones that you don't save versus the ones that you do? And what I mean is, you know, when you put your head on the pillow at night, you, you sit there and you think about all the things that you could have done or think the quality of life. I mean, you know, because sometimes that line is so thin, right? Like the, the line is so thin between yeah. saving someone and not. So yeah. 
I assume that some guys you lose, and not to be callous about it, they're easier to lose than others, right? Because some guys come in and you know they got no shot, and some guys you think you're bringing back and that you end up losing them after the fact, or some guys you're not really sure. So, you know, how do you reconcile all yeah. those differences? Because not every case is exactly the same. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, that's, it's, you know, it's just like that. I mean, some of them, you know, are just, like, I remember, I'll, I'll never forget, this is, this is one that I just, you know, there, there's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy, you know, so every time I see a duffel bag, I, yeah, I go back there, you know, because. You mean the green army duffel bike. bag? Yep, just, just okay. the green, just the green duffel, man, just the green duffel. Your A bag, so as they call it. a lot of. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and uh, so you know, so you get you know, I see an aid bag now, and and you know, I put mine all together, you know, that I've and I, I got them in my closet. I just kind of got to put away because I see them, and I go back, you know, for you know, and I know the reason why. So, you know, just going back to what you're you're asking me the once, like how do I reconcile? Like I know some that are just awful cases, and I know there's no chance, and some you know, but uh. But the duffel issue comes with, um, so I remember we, we got a call and it was basically just, we were receiving, you know, a couple of, you know, guys who were hit and, um, but every, every, every service member that we lost, we had to determine the mechanism of, of injury and, and what killed them. And I'll never forget, there's a, there's a Marine that came in and, uh, we went and we got him off the bird and. And man, he was, I mean, he was missing his head. Um, his right arm was basically just ripped off at the shoulder. Um, he was missing his leg, you know, stuff like that. And, and we couldn't put him in a body bag, you know, those roll out black body bags that they right. give everybody. Couldn't fit him in it, man. So I remember I went inside Why? and grabbed a, grabbed, he was just so mangled just so mangled his his oh. body wouldn't fit it was just so just just blown apart and i was, remember i was like trying desperately you know i mean i wasn't being quick because you know, i think if you're going quick and something like that you're gonna miss something and it's just didn't seem as as a, i wanted to maintain that highest level of respect when you know you're going through and doing something like that and um i remember i knew that he was irish because he had you know Notre Dame tattoo, you know, like on his thigh and he had, a, uh, you know, like the Irish knots, mm-hmm. you know, around his, um, around his like collarbones, almost like a necklace. And that was the only part that, that was recognizable. And that's how we ended up identifying him, you know, because the other guys that were with him, I mean, there were, you know, a couple of them were smoked and, you know, one of them, you know, severe TBI. And I just remember rolling his body and feeling that weight and going and getting the duffel and i remember i i grabbed my grabbed my knife and i cut the duffel right up the middle and i used the the straps you know the shoulder straps mm-hmm. on the day back and i used that to pull it together to hold his body together to hold everything in because it just it was just a mess you know and um and yeah yeah and that's just so no those those are a little easier to to deal with i guess well not easy but you know you my mind is like there's nothing we really could have done i mean obviously 
you know, but then you're like, I got to find all these pieces because his family deserves to get all of them. And I know that, you know, some of him is still out there. And I was like, man, we need to go get the rest of them. You know, I don't want one of those freaking assholes to, you know, be able to do something with it. You know, I was like, oh, I got here's, you know, this Marine's leg. We're going to freaking, you know, put it on display. You know, I, sure. You know, that shit was, I didn't want that shit happening. You know, not with our guys. You know, are you surprised at what you remember about certain cases versus what you don't? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I'm, 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 I'm telling, I'm talking to you about like this right now. And I feel like I'm there. I know exactly, you know, it's weird. I remember I rolled him, I rolled him over and there's some blood in his chest cavity. I remember it splashed up and hit me on the left side of my face and kind of trickled down. I felt like I was just sweating a lot, but it was actually, you know, I mean, I remember everything. So, Do you, you know, can, I can, can tell you... too because I'm looking down, my heart rate's up, and, you know, I'm just, but I'm fine because this is good for me. Right. Does that make sense? No, absolutely. I mean, I mean, do you feel comfortable talking about one of your tougher cases, one of your tougher patients that you had to deal with? Yeah, yeah. You know, I do. Because it's, this, this is, you know, and, and my wife, you know, she, she, she's one of the main reasons why I'm around because she's the one who said, you need to talk, you know, because I almost took my life, you know, so. Well, and that led yeah, to, that reason. led to Shadow Warrior Foundation, which I want to get to, but I kind of just want to hear yeah, a little bit yeah. more about your experience. Yeah. yeah. And so there, there's, um. There's one case in particular because there's still it's still an open case, and I you know I won't use the names out of respect for the family. No, that's that's fine. You know, you know, but I mean we can talk. You know, we we can talk offline about it, and I can give you a full breakdown. But I mean, um, so there was a there's a marine. There was a he was a colonel. I mean, he came in and, uh, you know, I guess I'll get the background story. So he was um. You know, he was out, you know, at a graduation, you know, because we had, we had to train some of the Afghanis, you know, um, whether it be um, ANA guys or, you know, AMP, you know, um, you know, those type of guys. And um, they, you know, got everything, you know, the, the, the group had graduated. And um, so this colonel with his team, they were there, you know, just to celebrate, you know, I was like, hey, man, you guys did something great. You, know, you graduated. And, um you know, little did they know that there was an embedded Taliban, you know, in that group and decided to have a jihad on him. And so he turned his weapon on him and, and shot him. And, uh, and so the Colonel came in and, you know, I remember just looking like we got, we got the word in, we got the mist, you know, and we we're like, okay, so we're prepping everything like that. And so I got my team together. We took, we typically took on the most difficult traumas, you know, cause, I mean, we, we knew each other's movements. I mean, that's how every, that's how our whole team was inside of that, that ER tent, you know? And, um, but typically when it hits a fan like that in a mask house situation, I mean, we call on, you know, others, you know, throughout our, our task force to come in and help out. And so we got, you know, guys, you know, Marines coming in to donate blood because everyone knew this guy, you know, I mean, he was very seasoned, very respected. I mean, his, uh, his, his, his Marines that came in with him, I mean, they called him, you know, they, they, they were yelling out for dad. They were, 
you know, they kept asking, you know, how's dad doing? I mean, you know, it's like, you know, sir, you doing okay? You know, you doing okay? And, and, um, and so, so yeah, when they, when they bring, they bring the patients in, I remember looking past, you know, our medic or our flight, our flight medic that was coming in and giving us report. And he just, his face was, I could just tell, you know, his face that, you know, they were bringing something that was, that was tough, you know, and I remember seeing, I looking right past to kind of get an idea of which patients were flown in where so I could triage them a little better. And, you know, there's one, you know, one, one brain that they kind of just put off to the side. I could tell he was very gray and, uh, you know, we know what gray is, you know, just, you know, he had, he had already, um, he'd already passed. Um, he had a family of three actually. And, um, but then, so, you know, the Colonel's coming to us and, you know, when we start working on him immediately, I remember jumping on his chest and doing compressions. Um, you know, we had a Colonel Tavoff. He was our, uh, cardiothoracic guy. He was, he was working on him and we're all doing interventions, starting lines and getting blood prepped and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, we cut his clothes off and, and everything looking for uh, entrance exit. He had gotten hit, uh, um, in the armpit area, the axilla region. And we know that that's where freaking body armor doesn't cover. You know, you wear those side plates and they just protect your freaking hip bone more than they do anything else. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, we tracked where that, where it went, you know, we couldn't find the exits. We knew that it was, it was bad news in the inside, you know? So I remember, uh, we had my, um, one of our best uh, combat medics there, uh, Matt McGee, you know, he's, uh, he starts taking over on his chest and, you know, we decided to do a, a thoracotomy on him. And a thoracotomy is basically you crack the chest open, you know, to kind of, you know, get a better idea, massage the heart if needs be, check and see what type of injuries, if any, to the, um, to the, to the cardiac sac, you know, the little sac that holds the heart in there. And, uh, Colonel Taboff is in there and he's looking, I remember I'm pulling back on the rib cage to get him a better view and, and look around. And, um, you know, we could see that there was a, you know, pretty decent hole that the, um, heart had been struck, you know, by the, by the, uh, um, by the bullet. And, uh, I remember I rolled him towards me, you know, to kind of get a, to see where the exit one was, you know, to kind of track it better. And I, it's, it's so crazy, man. I thought I'd pissed myself, you know, but it wasn't, it wasn't pissed, man. It was, it was the blood that had, you know, come out of his chest from the, when we cracked his chest and it had just kind of dumped all over me, you know? And I was like, it's like shit, man, you know? And so rolling back over, man, we start working on him and dude busting our asses, man. <clears throat> I mean, you don't feel any fatigue, you know, when you're working on somebody like that for so long, but, but I mean, you know, I look down and I see the ring on his finger, you know I mean? You know, he's an, he's an older guy. I know he's got family, you know, his, his Marines respect him so much. And, you know, I, I, you start lying, you know, remember how we had talked earlier about being a good liar and you're looking over at your guy, the other guy's getting treated. And, um, so I remember there's one dude, I mean, he's tallest guy ever, man. He like, he, he needed to decide if he wanted his head to be dangling off of the, off of the litter or his, or his legs, you know? And he kept looking over and I remember he'd grab me, you know, by my, you know, by my pants and be like, Hey, you know, doc, is he, is he all right? You know, how's, how's dad doing? Is he all right? And I just, I was like, Hey man, we got him. He's going to, he's going to be fine, man. You know, y'all like me joking about this shit later on, you know? And, 
I, I just, man, you know, I just knew. <laughs> and, uh, sorry, man. No, it's okay. It's okay, honestly. I mean, it's, uh, it's but, uh, putting it all back together, man. I mean, don't, don't sweat it. All right. So, um, so yeah, so, you know, tell him, man, you know, Hey, he's going to be fine. You know, don't worry about it. You know, we got him, you know, I, you know, I was like, you know, we need, we need to get him some medication, you know, kind of knock him out a little bit because he had a significant, he had significant damage to his leg and he got shot, you know, in the thigh and it was just shattered, you know? And so they, uh, he got medication on him and they got, you know, pushed on, you know, to surgery to get worked on. And, um, I just knew, you know, it got to the point, you know, where, you know, we're just like, man, you know, we're dumping blood into this guy and he would get a little bit of color back, but then you just see it leaving as he would just bleed on the floor, you know, and, and, you know, it's like, you know, it's like, what do you do? You know, you just keep, you know, you busting your ass, you know, working on him until, you know, somebody calls it. And so they, they ended up calling it. And I just remember, I mean, I don't know if I said it in my head or if I said it out loud, but I was like, you know, it's like, man, fuck that, man. You know, it's like, we, no, it's like, he's got family, you know, it's like, you know, and, 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 you know, I remember, you know, it was like um, my buddy, you know, Marcus Lee, you know, and, and Carmel Cowsey. And, you know, these are all the guys that are on the team with us, man. And I remember, you know, first time Callahan, you know, top, he's over there and he's like, you know, it's all right, you know, and, and you just don't want to, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to go with, you know, Hey, it's all right. You know, you want to be like, he's all right. And, uh, and so he ended up expiring and, um, you know, we, uh, you know, we didn't really have mortuary affairs over there. So it was us. And I thought, you know, just cause I was a little bit older than some of these guys, I needed to do it. Right. And instead of the younger guys, cause I didn't want them to carry that, you know? And so me and Matt, you know, we, we, we draped a flag over him and we stood by him, you know, until Marines were able to come pick him up, you know, so we put that flag on him and we had our ramp ceremony. And I'm sure you know what the ramp ceremony is and all the yeah. other brothers listening out there, they know what that is. And so we, we had our ramp ceremony and we, you know, you know, load him up in, in, the, in the truck and, you know, got him sent out and, uh, the Marines, they never took the flag that we had put on him and, uh, I kept it and I put it in my, in my tough box and I kept it the whole time. Why didn't they take and it? I don't know. Why didn't they? Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure. Man. I'm not sure. Typically they do. Yeah. That's why you they, they just, they, yeah, they, they didn't, I don't know. Maybe it's just because everybody was in shock because of, of, of who he was. And, and, you know, we had a couple of, you know, we lost a couple of guys that day, you know, maybe it's, I don't know, man, but I kept it. And, you know, I, I don't know why I did, but I didn't, you know, I just felt like I needed to, I didn't think that that needed to be placed on anybody else for the rest of the time. So I just kept it. I actually, you know, got to the time where I was going to be retired because I, I injured my neck and back pretty badly. And, um, you know, the army was letting me go. And, you know, my wife, she said, she's like, you need to, you know, you need to unload that flag. You need to get that back to his widow. And I was like, I know. And so, you know, I reached out to, to Marine, you know, the Keiko and, uh, 
it asked him, you know, it's like, I have this man, you know, and I, and I didn't cause he's buried in Arlington and I didn't, I didn't want to, well, I didn't want it to seem like I was trying to, you know, one up them, you know, because I know that, you know, the family receives a flag when they're buried and that, that was one thing that I was just worried about, but I knew that I couldn't keep it either because I mean, damn, that thing's heavy. Right. You know? And, you know, so I ended up asking the Keiko if it was okay, if the widow would want to speak to me, you know, I was, I was, you know, working on her husband, you know, and, uh, and so, yeah, I actually ended up getting to, to speak with her and tell her, you know, and, and that was probably one of the hardest conversations I've ever had, you know, and uh, I just kept apologizing. I think I apologized maybe 20 times to her, man, you know, and she's like, it's all right, you know, it's okay. And I was like, it's not, you know, and I was just bawling, man, you know, and I'm not a freaking pussy, man. I'm freaking, you know, but, you know, just. I don't know. And I asked her, I was like, you know, do you want this? And she was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be honored to have it. And, uh, I told her, I was like, you know, she wanted to know how her husband had died, like his injuries and stuff. Cause I guess I didn't tell her. And I was still active duty. So I didn't think I, I, I don't think I was able to, you know, so I didn't tell her and I told her I'd tell her in person next time that I saw her. And, um, I, I haven't been able to get in touch with her, man. I still have that flag and it sits in my closet and I look at it every day. And when stuff gets shitty for me, I look at that, you know, and I'm like, dude, it's, it could be a lot worse. She never you know? reached back out. No. Did you ever try to get in touch with her? I have. And, and no response. No response. Wow. That's, um, that one. yeah, I, I don't, yeah, that's. Whew. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've been to the Tillman races, right? Yes. Yeah. Remember seeing us out there, the big flag that I put on the back? Oh, that was that flag? flag. That's the flag. Wow. And and what Ryan's referring to is the the Pat Tillman run that happens every year on, you know, the weekend of of Pat's being killed in action. Pat Tillman, the former NFL safety, um, there's satellite runs, you know, the original one originated in Tempe, but there's satellite runs in New York, Chicago, and there's one here in Atlanta where I live and where, uh, coincidentally, Ryan lives. And so that's where we, Ryan and I linked up. Um, but I, I do remember seeing that flag. Um, let me ask you, when you look back on it, do you think you took on too much? Do you think you, you didn't share some of the burden with the rest of your team enough? Do you feel like you're carrying too much? Um. Because, and, and I mean, look, you know this, like everything that goes on in that hospital is a team effort. No one person yeah. individually saves somebody and no one person yeah. individually fails to keep somebody alive. But yet when I hear yeah. you tell the stories and I hear you, you speak, I feel like you, you carry the burden of your entire team with you. Yeah. Why? And I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I just. I don't want them to carry that. I feel like if anybody should, it should be me because I mean, I'm not saying that I'm some freaking, you know, hard ass, you know, super, super doc or, you know, cause I'm far from that man, because I mean, that, there's just no such thing, <clears throat> but I don't, I don't want their minds to be clouded with that. 
because I don't want, and then I guess it reinforced it, you know, with a, with a first Sergeant Callahan taking his life this past weekend. I don't want that to happen, you know, to any of, to anyone. Right. You know, I'm not saying that I'm handling it the best way, but I'm doing a lot better now than, than I, than I used to. Well, that, that's a, that's a good, that's a good transition point to the Shadow Warrior Foundation, um, because not only are your own struggles, but helping with the struggles of other people. How did that come about? How did you start that? And, um, you know, where did the idea come from? Okay. Yeah. So with, with Shadow Warriors, you know, my, my last duty station, um, I was out at, uh, I was assigned to the 3rd Brigade Combat Team of 25th out in Schofield Barracks, um, Hawaii. And, you know, I was, I was on basically on my way out. Um, I was being medically retired, you know, I broke my neck, you know, I'm back pretty well. Uh, well, good enough to them for them to tell me, you know, it's like, Hey man, you need to hang it up. You're done. You're going to either, you know, you'll die on us, which we don't want, or, you know, one wrong move and you're, you're done. And so I was like, like, man, it's like, this is my, this is my whole life. You know, I don't, you know, what the hell am I going to do? You know, when I'm, when I'm out, I mean, I, I mean, I know civilian jobs. I'm like, man, civilian jobs, freaking, you know, it's, I mean, yeah, I mean, I love, I love my job now. I mean, it's great. But at, at the, back then I was like, man, I don't know what the hell I'm going to do. You know, I can't pass physical because I don't have a lot of dexterity and the ability to, to work very good with my hand, you know, my right hand anymore, you know, because of the nerve damage. But, um, I mean, I was like, man, what am I going to do? And, you know, it's, you know, it's like I'm supposed to help people and help, you know, help my Joes and, and, and whoever. And, you know, and so we, Ricky Schroeder Productions, they, they came out and they did a show called Starting Strong. And y'all probably seen some stuff, you know, it's, it's basically they're giving, uh, they'll take a civilian and put them in the MOS of a, you know, an infantryman or, or uh, you know, a flight medic or, or whoever, just different MOSs to kind of build a, build the, I guess, the civilian knowledge of what we do and, and what it's about. And so they wanted to do one on a registered nurse. So they, they, they reached out to me to do one and because my role is a little bit different being force calm. And so we did that show and it was a really good success. And there's a guy that was uh, part of their production team. Um, his name was Steve Kreider. And um, he was a first sergeant actually. And, uh, you know, I told him, I was like, man, you know, I was like, I, I, I don't know what I'm going to do, man. I'm kind of just lost. And, you know, it's like my wife says, you know, Hey, you should continue doing something, you know, with, with soldiers because you I mean, everyone knew how much it meant to me. I mean, you know, you go from being part of a team to, to dropped in the civilian sector. And it's like, like, damn, man, you're, you're lost. You know, it's like, what do you do? Um, and so, is like, you know, we have this group out in California, they're called the Vet Hunters Project, and they look for, you know, homeless vets and stuff like that, and, you know, just basically, you know, do what they can for them. And uh, so we got here to Hawaii, or from Hawaii to Atlanta, you know, I moved here. I remember I was driving to the VA, you know, to get established there and stuff like that. And I counted, I counted, it was like, I think it was like 13 or 14 guys on the side of the road just, you know, they, they looked homeless, but I mean, they, they looked squared away too, you know? And I pulled over and asked, you know, a couple of the guys, I was like, what are you doing, man? You know, it was like, oh, he's like, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a homeless veteran. I'm, 
I'm waiting to get services here at, at the VA down here. There's this huge waiting list. And, and I was like, what are you going to do in the meantime? He's like, he's like, man, I'm just going to go back to Peachtree and Pine, you know, the shelter down there across from Emory Midtown. And so, and I was like, man, that's not right. You know, I was like, like these guys, I mean, they put it all on the line. I mean, some of them, you know, were injured. I mean, some of them weren't in wartime, but I mean, you know, hey, you know, service member, the service member, you know, they did their time and they're entitled things. And they're damn sure shouldn't be living on the freaking streets. And I told my wife about that and she was like, yeah, we got, we got to do something about this. And I was like, yeah. And I reached out to Steve again. I was like, dude, there's a population down here that, I mean, they're underserved. I mean, it's, it's not right. And, um, man, that was, that was all she wrote, man. You know, I started it, I started it up, you know, with some advisement, um, at Apollo's Willinger, you know, she's a gold star mom, you know, she had, uh, she'd helped out, um, you know, like I said, my wife, um, you know, Troy Landry was a guy that, you know, he's our VP, uh, Jared Clark, you know, these guys, Demario Presley, I mean, you, you met all these guys, you know, Steve, or, uh, um, Phil Connell, these guys, they, we just got together and we're like, Hey, we're doing something about this, you know, and, you know, we just came up with, you know, Shadow Warrior Foundation because, you know, they, they hide in the shadows and we know the warriors, man, you know, we just got to kind of bring them out of it, you know, say, Hey man, you're, you got a lot more to offer than you think, because it's such a hard transition to make, you know, when you come out of the military, just being able to translate what you did in the military to a civilian job, man, it's, it's hard, you know? And, you know, I mean, yeah, there's programs in the military that help you, you know, trans, to transition out and you know soldier for life and all that stuff but i mean i mean it's nothing can really prepare you for it you know and what we do as shadow warriors is you know we tell them you know hey it's okay man you know you fall in hard times you know that's what you do but just like in the military man you fall down you get busted up you jump back up dust yourself off and and then do what you gotta do you know and i mean it's a lot easier said than done but when you have a support group out there it it uh it, it, it helps out and it makes a difference. And that's what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we take on those, those subjects that are difficult, you know, right. You know, homeless, but I was like, are you going to be the guy that rolls your window down a quarter of an inch and hands out a dollar? Or do you want to get out of the car and be like, Hey man, what's really going on? How can I help you? You know, it's the same thing with PTSD. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's a hidden killer. You know, you don't wear it on your sleeve. It, it's just in you. And, you don't really have a choice. You can either smoke your mind out with, with, with medications with some folks need that, or you can just be like, you know, what I do now is like, man, I, I talk about it. It's rough. It's, you know, it's prickly. It's, it's itchy. It's not something that's comfortable, but you know, hell somebody's got to freaking do it, you know? Cause I mean, I, I, I can't have my friends, my buddies killing themselves. Right. That, you know, if I didn't have my wife, like I said, I would, Hell, man, I'd have been wind chiming there in, in Fort Polk, man. It got to the point, man, I was drinking every day. I had a Gatorade, a little green Gatorade bottle, you know, the ones with the yellow caps. Yep. I would get home, I would get home from work, man. I'd fill that thing up, and I'd try to drink it away, make it stop. You know, it didn't, man. And I, I found a tree in Louisiana, and I was like, all right, man, it'll hold my weight. I use 550 cord because it doesn't break. And, you know, I'll be away so my kids don't see me, you know, and I was good with it. And my wife, it was, it was the craziest thing, man. I remember I was sitting on my couch and, uh, you know, I was going to do it that evening. And she basically just walked by and she tapped me on my knee as my right knee. And she was like, hey, let's go for a walk. You know, we haven't gone on a walk in a while. Let's go for a walk. 
And so we went for a walk and just started talking and never thought about it again. Wow. Do you remember like anything specifically she said that kind of changed your mind? She said, Hey, she said, Hey baby, let's go walk it out. And I was like, okay, it's crazy. Wow. Man. wow. Cause wow. I was, man, I was, I was happy with the decision. That's, that's what, that's what made it scary. When you look back and you look back at that moment and you got home that night, did anything seem different to you after that? I just, I was just optimistic, man. I, you know, I was like, you know, yeah, you went through some stuff, you know, a lot of guys do. Don't let it define you. You know, if you, if you let it define you, let it be in a positive light so other people don't go through it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's, a, that's incredible. I mean, God bless your wife. God bless you. Like that's just, I'm, I'm so glad to hear that there's a, there, there's a happy ending. Um, and, and I know the struggles are still there for you. I'm not trying to, you know, sugarcoat that every day isn't tough. Oh. Uh, you have good days and bad days and that's certainly, but you know, I mean, in the overall grand yeah. scheme, the fact that it was your wife who saved you is, is incredible. And, and, you know, God bless her for, uh, yeah. for being aware enough to even just ask you to go on a walk. Um, it, it's something so small that literally saved your life. That's just, it, it's beautiful. It, it's touching. And all at the same time, it's, you know, scary because it was, it was that close to happening. Um, Ryan, how yeah. do people get in touch with the shadow warrior foundation if they want help? Um, I mean, man, we uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, we have a website, you know, um, shadow warrior foundation.org. Um, I mean, man, we hit the, we hit the streets, you know, we're, we're, we're always out on the streets, man. You know, we go down to Atlanta, we called shadow chasing. We have a lot of great support. Um, you know, uh, utility partners of America, they provide us, you know, with monetary support so we can build out these kits and take, uh, take toiletries out of these guys. You know, nothing feels better than a baby white bath, man. You know that, <laughs> you know, being out in the field and stuff, man. Yeah. It's like, yeah, man, that's a sweet feeling, man. You know, we have our card in there because then we know a lot of these guys are struggling, man. You know, I mean, we, like Northside Hospital helps us out. You know, I mean, um, we work with a guy named Gunny Talbot, you know, um, Tim Talbot. He um, he works with a lot of Marines that are struggling, man. And it's, we work with the um, Veterans Empowerment Organization. We kind of just have this network going to where we can we find guys and they're ready to come off the street or they're ready to receive some help then we can point them in the right direction you know it's like hey man we can help you get to this point if you want to you know because a lot of these guys aren't ready to come off the street a lot of these guys aren't ready to address some of these issues man because they're 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 hard to deal with you know and you know we we put our cards out there and we we folks reach out to us and it's like hey i have a son who's in atlanta somewhere he's a veteran he's struggling can you find him you know, we go out and we do that, you know, wow. and it's, it's amazing. It's just what we do, man. You know, it's, if we can help one guy, you know, one girl, whoever, man, that's, that's a success. I mean, we're not going to, you know, heal the world or anything like that, but man, you know, those small little, you know, dinks in the armor, man, that, that makes a difference after a while. Ryan, it's it's an amazing tale. Uh, your courage is is unbelievable. Um, the fact that you're still here is inspiring, and you know it's a great testament to others who may be listening, who may be thinking about, you know, a certain path that that doesn't lead to good things. And uh, you know, the fact that you you're still providing help today is not only therapeutic for you, obviously, but you know what the, the lives that you're changing on the other end are. It, it's just incredible. So, 
you know, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing your story. I mean, a lot of honesty and a lot of emotion. And thank you for, for reliving all those painful memories with us because uh, the story needs to be told. You know, it's stuff like this that, that you know, they don't make into movies and books and all that other stuff, but it's critically important and it's equally as, as worthwhile to hear. And, and so thank you so much for sharing it. And, and we, we certainly appreciate it. Hey, Mark, I appreciate the, uh, the opportunity, man. Y'all are doing a great thing. You know, y'all really are. Well, Ryan Hepworth, thank you so much for being part of the Hazard Ground. Thank you. Appreciate it, man. You've been listening to the Hazard Ground Podcast, hosted by Mark Zeno and produced by Matt Pascarella. If you have an interesting story to tell and you'd like to be on the show, send us an email at hazardgroundpodcast at gmail.com. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.